Isaiah chapter 50, I wanted to speak out of Isaiah 50 today and 1 Peter 4. Father, bless your word. Bless us, Father, and anoint us to hear what it is that you want to say to us right now, Father. I pray, God, that our faith would be anchored in Jesus. And, Father, we would be rooted in your word and that we would be established, God, and set in these days of confusion and these days of instability that we as the church of Jesus Christ would be stable. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah 50, I'd like to read verse 3, if you will, and then I'm going to go, keep your place in Isaiah 50, and we're going to come back to it, but we're also going to go to 1 Peter 4. Isaiah 53, 50, verse 3 says, I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. There's other scriptures that tell us that God even dwells in darkness, if you will. Um, but God closed the heavens in blackness and he put sackcloth on it. Sackcloth always speaks of a type of um, sorrow, a type of humility, a type of repentance or something of that nature. And so I just want that to be in your mind. When God created the heavens and the earth, darkness was upon the face of the deep. And I want to talk a little bit about darkness this morning. And I want to talk about God in the darkness. God in the darkness. And so when God created the heavens and the earth, darkness was upon the face of the deep. When the eternal son became flesh, he was carried for a time in the darkness of a virgin's womb. When he died for the life of the world, it was in darkness Seen by no one at the last. When he arose from the dead, it was very early in the morning. No one saw him rise. It is as if, if, as if God were saying, what I am is still all that need matter to you. What I am. For there lies your hope and your peace. I will do what I will do. And it will all come to light at last. But how I do it is my secret. Trust me and be not afraid. With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it. Those of us who hope in God, what could we possibly lack or fear? Wilkerson made this statement. I believe, and obviously this was a few years ago, I believe right now trouble upon trouble is piling up in the lives of many wonderful, devoted Christians. Some have lost their jobs. Others have been out of work for weeks or months. Like Job, numbers of these dedicated believers have been stripped bare. And it's certainly applicable to our time today. And nothing they've experienced in their previous years has prepared them for such hardship. Moreover, multitudes of Christian marriages are being tested. Families are coming under incredible pressures, facing heartaches of all kinds. Young people are being lost to the insanity of the hour. And on top of all of these domestic woes, our national and personal wealth is vanishing. Our health is also declining as new diseases afflict both, both young and old. As we survey the troubles mounting all around us, we find ourselves gazing out from an ash heap of despair. Looking into the future can be a very frightening prospect. Hundreds of pastors gather to pray in various cities. They're hearing similar reports from one another. 
Never have so many of my sheep been so deeply tested. Something has been unleashed in the land over these past few months. Many of the godly men and women I know have fallen under a flood of trouble, hardship, suffering, and sorrow. Another one commented, as in this moment today, but there is something even deeper and more sinister than all of these frightening things happening. It is this, the body of Christ, consisting of devoted disciples of Jesus, is under attack from principalities and powers of hell. An angry devil, who knows his time is short, has waged all-out war against the righteous. Those who are wholly given to Christ, who seek him and love him dearly, are now set up as targets of the enemy's wrath. Satan is infusing your thoughts with fears, discouragements, temptations, depression. He is after your faith, wanting to so discourage you that you will quit. You'll quit the fight. But make no mistake about it. The war is for your mind, which will eventually captivate your heart. And so in First Peter, he gives us insight into the last days. And Peter makes this comment in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, not perhaps or maybe, but it is, as though some strange thing happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And I would just comment, this attitude is extremely uncommon and rare in the body of Christ. Especially when that suffering is in the context of Somebody reproaching you, somebody hurting you, somebody offending you, somebody upsetting you. Um, you know, maybe if we were to suffer some other type of problem where maybe we lose our jobs or maybe our health is under attack, then maybe we can proceed with a godly disposition. But when people attack us, when we get our feelings hurt, boy, you really begin to see what is the true faith in a person's life at that time? There's such retaliation. There's such unchristlike behavior. There's such withdrawal from people and friends and even the body of Christ. And so I say this to you because Peter is trying to tell us that we should be glad there is a glory that is to be revealed. He says in verse 14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing 
as unto a faithful creator. And so no doubt Peter is talking to us about suffering. And Peter is telling us don't suffer because you've done something worthy of suffering. But follow the Lord. Be faithful to Jesus Christ. And if suffering comes into your life as a result of your walk with Jesus Christ. They may blaspheme the Lord. But God is going to be glorified in it. And so obviously when we talk about suffering and we talk about heartache and we talk about maybe being hurt or offended or wounded or slandered by people, even by church people, it is so easy and it surfaces up so much in our life that shows an unchristlike disposition. And I just want to encourage you because we passed through some difficult times in the last few years. People seem to measure out extreme caution that nobody would be offended, that nobody would be upset, that everybody would have the freedom to make their own choices and, and, and try to decide what is right for their life and what is best for them. But what if the approaching calamities that we face as Christians, if really this is a spiritual world, and there are spiritual demonic forces that are striking the church to take it down. What if we face in the near future persecutions, problems, attacks where we have to make strong decisions as the body of Christ. And perhaps some people do get offended by that. And so Peter says that there is going to be the trying of your faith. This will be the dark night of your life. It will be the dark season of your soul. And I want to say that to you in the context of don't be afraid of it. God himself said he creates darkness. And God brings the sackcloth, if you will, which can be a type of heaviness that is a process of repentance and humility that he brings upon people. And then Peter says that your faith is going to be tried and you're going to think you're being picked on by God. Nobody else has to suffer like this. So the Holy Spirit says, don't think it's strange what you're going through. Don't have that attitude. Be very careful and have a joyful attitude and be glad in the things that are going. Because he says that judgment must happen at the house of God first. It must. And so we have to understand that. Will God judge his church? Absolutely. Will God judge Christians? Absolutely. Not under his wrath, of course, but like any good father who is going to look at his children and maybe bring discipline into their lives. God is a good father and he looks at his church, Revelation 2 and 3. And when God finds things in the church that is not appropriate, he's going to deal with it. Well, in the last days, God is going to deal with his church. And I want you to understand what this judgment means. It means the severe trial. This I'm taking this from Barnes's notes on his um on his commentary on the New Testament. And this is just exactly what judgment means. And I thought it was interesting in, in light of the pandemic. And in light of the, the turbulence in our world today. Because it seems like it's speaking right into this hour. I believe that what we pass through is judgment on the church. I believe God is allowing it. And God is orchestrating it to happen. And this is what the word judgment means. The severe trial... 
which would determine character. It reveres, it, it, refer, it refers to such calamities as would settle the question whether there was any religion or faith or would test the value of that which was professed. It was to begin at the house of God or be applied to the church first in order that the nature and worth of faith might be seen. The reference is doubtless to some fearful calamity which would primarily fall on the house of God, that is, to some form of persecution or perplexity which was to be let loose upon the church and find its way into the society. It begins at the church and it ends in the world. And so if it begins that way, the question that Barnes answers is, if God brings such trials upon us who have obeyed his gospel, what have we not reason to suppose that he will bring upon those who are yet in their sins? And so God is concerned, concerned and determined to try our faith of what sort it really is. And how diligent we are. As a matter of fact, Paul said that before the rapture of the church, there's going to be a great falling away. Even the pandemic shook a lot of things up. It changed a lot of the characteristics of the church. One third of evangelical Christians left the church and they're not coming back. The majority of people's habits about church and church life have drastically changed in the face of the pandemic. All of these are tests of the faith. And we are not the judges of that test. God is. And you stand with him in regards to that. But I will assert to you that there is a great falling away before the rapture of the church. And one-third evangelicals leaving the church and not coming back is a staggering number. And if that's not the great falling away, I shudder to think what is about to happen in the world that will cause even more shaking in the house of God. It has disrupted people's patterns, people's worship, people's prayer life, people's gathering with the body of Christ has all been shaken and distorted by these recent events that we went through. And if that was not it, what is coming? And so God brings darkness. And God brings sackcloth and so forth. And this is what I want us to deal with for just a few minutes now. Because it's about all that I have. And Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 50... Um, I just want to give you this word of exhortation in times of darkness. And so we have this in verse 4. And it says, and it's a, it's a messianic psalm or prophecy. And so this was something that would refer to Jesus. And he says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you just saw that with Jesus, right? He just knew what to say in the moment that he was in. And so that is beautiful. We pray that. Oh God, I wish that I would have that. Give me that tongue. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learn. We pray that. Oh God, wake me up and speak to me and let me hear you. 
Wow, I wonder if we really do want that. Because in regards to Jesus, this is what he would hear. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away my back. So he woke him up morning by morning. He spoke to Jesus and this is what he said. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Wow, what what if you woke up every morning with God telling you something like that? They're going to hate you today. They're going to offend you today. They're going to despise you today. They're going to grab a handful of your hair and rip it off of your head. They're going to spit on you. And this is the call of your life for me today. This is how I want you to serve me. Jesus wasn't rebellious to that. So be careful if you say to God, I want you to wake me up every day and speak to me. Be careful. Because what might the Lord say? I'm going to let them, I'm going to let them offend you. I'm going to let them get under your skin. I'm going to bring you into a situation that will result in what your faith and character really is. And maybe it's not going to be very pretty, but I can assure you that God will bring us into those paths. But this is what the Messiah knew in verse seven. The Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifies me. This is not just in regards to the Messiah now. This is to Isaiah writing to Israel. Who will contend with me? And y'all, this sounds very similar to Romans chapter 8. Who is he that condemns you if God justified you? Who can be against you if God is for you? This is so neat how Paul would pull from these passages of Scripture. He is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Who can be against me if God is for me? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. In other words, stand and try to condemn me all you want. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get very old and die and decay and moths are going to eat you before God will listen to you. Praise God. You know, that is wonderful. But it is a dark hour when people are condemning you, isn't it? You want, you want it to end. You want, you just maybe, you know, God make them go away or something. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? Listen to this, that walks in darkness and has no light. Now, people don't walk in darkness. If it's really dark, people just tend to stop or they tend to sit or stand because you don't know where to go. You don't know what's in front of you. But listen to this. It's quite wonderful. Who is among you that fears the Lord, obeys the voice of his servant and walks in darkness? How do you walk in darkness when there's no light? Because you're hearing the voice of God. And what comes by the word of God but faith? And so God is talking about a people who even in the midst of darkness when there is no light is able to continue to walk because they're walking not by sight. But they're walking by the word of God. And that is the people. So let me tell you something. God's going to bring darkness. God may bring darkness upon the world. God might bring darkness upon the church. Hundreds, dozens may begin to leave church. Do video church. Do this. Do that. But who's going to keep walking when it's dark? Because they hear the voice of God. Who's going to do that? To continue the work of God's kingdom. 
Many people will reason, but you shouldn't walk in darkness. And who would disagree with that? It doesn't make sense to walk in darkness when there is no light. Unless you're hearing a voice from someone you believe sees in the darkness. Because God is in the darkness. And so I want to read verse 10 again. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold, all you that kindle a fire, that surround yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that you have kindled. But this you will have from my hand. You will lay down in sorrow. And so this is what I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning. And that is that there are times that God does bring darkness into our life. And there are times that God may allow a shroud of darkness or sackcloth even to fall upon his precious children or upon his beloved church. And in that moment of time, as we parallel this with Peter, he is telling us that God is trying our faith to see of what character we are, of what sort of we are. What was the quality of your faith really? What was the quality of your Christianity, the quality of your religion really in these moments of life, in the darkness of our life? When, when we were shrouded with confusion or perplexity and we didn't know what to do and we didn't have any light and we really couldn't take hold of God. We were just listening for his voice and God brings that out to show the pure faith and the faith of people that are really hearing him and walking with him. We shouldn't be surprised by the attacks of Satan in these moments of our life either who will try to speak to us and Satan will come with ingenuity and Satan will tempt us. It's dark. Why don't you light your own fire? Why don't, why don't just a group of you get together and build a fire and make your own decisions and sit around and share the sparks and then try to go on with your life. And God says, you can do that, but I assure you, I will make you lay down in sorrow. When God creates a darkness, he, he is determined that you are leaning upon his name and that you are listening to his voice. But what do we do? I don't like the darkness. And so I want the darkness to be gone. And certainly God wouldn't want me to be in darkness. God wouldn't want me to be in this season of confusion, if you will. Well, then Peter certainly misunderstood him. Isaiah certainly misunderstood what he was saying in this. And so God does it. And what we tend to do is we tend to light our own fires. We begin to seek counselors. We begin to, we, be, we begin to seek advisors. We begin to bring people around us so that we can talk to people. We surround ourselves with people and we build our own fire. And what should I do? What, what is it that I'm supposed to do? How, how am I supposed to, to walk? You know, the church believes this and some people in the church believe this and some people in the church believe that. It's a very confusing moment. What do you say? What should I do? And these are the Sparks of humanity because counselors and advisors and people come into your darkness and they begin to assess it and try to tell you what they think is best for you. They mean well and you mean well. But sometimes when it's the darkness that has set in by God, God wants you to pray. God wants you to lean upon his name. God wants you to hear his voice. And one of the things that... <clears throat> 
is certainly to happen if you light your own fire in a darkness that God has allowed. You're going to see things you weren't supposed to see. There are times in your life where things are happening and things are going around on around you. God doesn't want you to see it. But we're so determined to know what is around me that we begin to light those fires. I remember we were on a mission trip and we were in college and we went to Mexico with our, our college group. And we stayed at different places and Carlos stayed in this particular home. And they had an outhouse off of the house. And so Carla went to the restroom in the outhouse. And so when she went in there, um, she's the, the lady of the house realized that Carla went out to the outhouse without any light. And so she runs out there to bring a light only to expose that there were probably a million roaches everywhere, you know? And it was like, when you didn't see that, you weren't afraid of it. You weren't troubled by it, you know? But Lord, there are things that God just doesn't want to, you to be exposed to. He doesn't want you to see it. And be, people begin to do that, you know, and people begin to go into those things, you know. Well, tell me about your past. Tell me about how you were abused. Did anybody bump your mama when you were in the womb and it damaged you and it hurt you? Tell me about, let's go back into the past of what may have happened here. What may have happened to you there? And you're lighting fires about things that have no relevance to who you are today. And all of a sudden, all of these things from your past begin to surface up and say, you know what? I think my father abused me when I was five. I have no evidence of it, but I've been talking with somebody and now I think I was abused. You never thought you were abused before in your life, but now you think you're abused. These are the manufacturings of men who may mean well, but they bring such distortion and fear and sorrow into believers' lives. Walk with God. He will let you know what he wants you to know. He will show you what he wants you to see. And if he's not showing it to you, beware of people who are plunging the depths of your soul and your heart and your past that is under the blood and you're a new creation. Be careful of that because it's very dangerous. This is dark and Jesus, but I am here. This is dark. There's no light. And God says, I'm the God in the darkness. I know where you are. Nothing is dark to me. The darkness is light to me. And imagine that Mary and Martha with Lazarus dying. It was a time of sorrow and grief. And they asked for Jesus to come, but he didn't come. And so they consult themselves and they try to console themselves, you know. And what did they end up doing? They made their little sparks. They tried to understand why Jesus didn't come. And what did they end up doing? They ended up in sorrow and misery and mourning and groaning and a what if situation. And then when God does show up, because he's always there and he always shows up. When God did show up, the only thing they could say to him, both of them to him, if you had been here. If you had been here. And that's what lighting our darkness does. We just have to sometimes walk through it and believe the Lord. So I just want to close with this. How to get through the darkness and so this is very important. How do you get through the darkness? And I'm going to just give you two things that I'm building off of what we've just read. Number one, walk by hearing his voice. Don't stop doing what you know to do. 
Don't stop doing what you know to do. There are great instructions from the word of God that teaches us. For example, I don't know what the future is going to bring. I don't know what perplexities we may face. I don't know what what Satan has planned to bring against the church of Jesus Christ. But I do know this, that God says numbers of times, and one of the most clear times is in Hebrews chapter 10, as you see the day approaching, don't stop gathering. But gather all the more. So whatever is going that is trying to keep me away from the body of Christ. God's already told me how to walk. So I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to sit. I'm going to keep on going. And I'm going to keep on walking with God. Because honestly if you want to hear. If I may say it this way. The mystical voice of the Holy Spirit which I would define as that voice you think you hear in your spirit. Well, God told me this and God told me that. If you're not hearing his voice here, then I would be very concerned about what you're hearing in here. And so if you want to hear God, know the word and walk in the word and don't stop, don't quit, but proceed on in those very real things that God has given us to do. Life is hard. Finances are tight. Keep tithing. Keep giving. Well, you don't understand how hard it is. I realize that. But I do understand the way of blessing. I do understand the way of grace. And so this is what we have to do. And we have to do it as joyful givers. And so you continue in the direction that God has put you on. You listen to the voice of your shepherd and you walk with him. You do what you know you must do. And you don't branch out into doing other things that you're not certain about. Should I take this job? Should I move here? You're in a time of darkness. It's not the time to move. It's the time to listen and to hear God and to do the things that God wants you to do. But it's easy to forget the habit of church and Bible and prayer and fellowship with the saints. One man said it's easy to begin, but it's hard to finish. The one thing necessary for life is staying power. And the one thing necessary to overcome life is faith. And yet this seems to be what so many people lack. It was suggested of a certain famous man that his biography should be written while he was still alive. So he could have input to it. He said, absolutely not. I cannot write my biography while I'm alive. They said, why? And he said, I've seen too many men fall on the last lap. I'm not done yet. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. We love that phrase, right? It's so encouraging because up to this point, let's say I'm an absolute failure. But don't take that to mean finishing is easy. It demands faith and it demands the ability to walk with God because everything in hell is going to try to stop you from doing it. So walk. Live your faith. Live what the Bible says and continue to live in it and don't stop. And then the second thing I would say to you is this, trust. What you do determines why you're in it. It really is the expression of your faith. So trust, when there's no sign of God, trust that he's there. Instead of trusting the devil to beat you, trust God to give you victory. Instead of trusting the devil to be this bad, evil guy that's always around, trust 
that God is good and his mercies are fresh and new every morning. Trust in that. Put your faith there. Don't look at everyone else and just say, well, everyone else is blessed. No, they're not. Find some real, raw, honest people and they'll tell you it's not just going well for me right now. It's a difficult time. That's the honesty of people's lives. And realize this, it's just a test. So trust. Keep trusting. Can you believe when you don't see? Can you forsake what you know God has done for you? Can you go back to fishing and be happy? And Peter certainly couldn't. He could go back to fishing, but he wasn't happy. And so God is in the darkness. Your confusion is not your end. The disaster is not the end. And death is not your conclusion. And God will not leave you in the darkness. He will bring you into the light. And it will all make sense. And it will be absolutely beautiful. Because God is your God. And so I just ask you to remember that. I was thinking about this just in regards to life. Because we love such wonderful and good moments in life. And we love such happiness and thrilling times. But darkness comes. Life, if you will, sets in. The morning after the prodigal's party. There was dishes to wash, rooms to clean, and a farm to be taken care of. They didn't party all night and the rest of the next day and the rest of the next night until Jesus came back. They partied that night, they celebrated that night, and they went back to work in the next day. And that's what life is about. And we have to walk through those times in life. So just remember that. You might have this incredible moment of God where God just leads you beside a still water and a cool drink and rest and peace. It's like, oh, this is so wonderful. Yes, but the storm's going to come. And you're going to have to trust Jesus in the storm like you trust him at the party. Father, I praise you and thank you that you're good to us and you see us where we are. I thank you that you love us, God. And I thank you, Father, it is so comforting to know that the darkness is still light to you, though it's not to me. And therefore, you have the clarity to tell me what to do, to show me how to walk. You have the ability and the clarity to lead every step I am to take. And I do pray that you would help all of us to have a strong faith, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, that you will lead us in good times as well as dark times. And Father, help us to be as careful when it is light and bright and the sun is shining. Help us to continue to walk by your voice and your leadership. In Jesus' name. I just encourage you right now to sit before the Lord. Maybe you've lit a fire in your own life and there's sorrow there. There's heartache there. Just turn to God and say, I'm going to lean upon your name. I'm going to lean upon your voice. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk in your word. And I just renounce decisions that I've made that have brought sorrow into my life. And I thank you that you are the good shepherd who leads me. And I trust you. Give me the faith to endure to the very end. 